If you're a small business owner, a founder, or a CEO, there's one big question I'm sure that has echoed in your mind. How much should I pay myself? It's a delicate balance between personal income and business growth. I'm Jason Andrew, child accountant, business owner, and yes, a financial lawyer. And you're listening to Start Naked Numbers. It's a podcast that strips down the numbers of business, investing, and wealth creation to help you become a better entrepreneur and investor and ultimately build your net worth. In today's episode, I'm going to take you back to where it all began, eight years ago when SBO Financial was just an idea. I'll walk you through the insights drawn from my own financial history and the trajectory of my own business. And we'll also confront that old query, just how much should you put into your own pockets? It's been eight years since I started my business, SBO Financial, uh, which for those new to this pod is one of the businesses that we own. It's an accounting firm. It was really my first foray into, I guess, entrepreneurship in inverted commas. So it's been eight years and over the weekend, I was reviewing our growth over, you know, since we started the business, um, as well as my personal finances. So what I did was open up my zero file, looked at the P&L for the last eight years, brought up my personal balance sheet. And uh, income saving actually just did a, a full review. And what I found quite interesting was an observation of how my personal income has grown as my business has. So a common question I get asked by a lot of founders and clients that we work with is how much can I, should I pay myself as a CEO, right? And this question is really subjective. It's very nuanced. Uh, you hear you know, billionaires like Warren Buffett say that he doesn't draw a cent from his companies, uh, same as Elon Musk. The commas don't pay themselves at all from the companies. Obviously, they get paid uh, through stock options or capital growth in their companies. But uh, yeah, for, for us small business owners, we need to get paid something, right? So a common question is how much? What is a good benchmark? Or how much should I pay myself? So um, I decided to put this pod together to, to share my insight into what we advise people to do and what we see and yeah, share that uh, journey. So when I started my first company, uh, you know, the first two years were an absolute grind. Uh, so I didn't actually draw anything. I didn't draw a salary at all for the first 14 months of starting my business. Uh, and it really, really sucked. And if you've been there starting a business from scratch, uh, I chances are you also know of that pain. Uh, so what I did was when I knew I wanted to kind of start this business, I had some savings that I set aside to ensure I could cover my personal life, right? And I called, well, I basically had, I think about $35,000. Yeah, it was thirty-five grand that I had saved up through, through working in my job, um, outside my investments. And I calculated that um, if I had to strip back my personal burn rate, I, my monthly expenses, which basically included my monthly mortgage. I had a rental property at the time. So had a, a mortgage and some you know, food and groceries and, and travel and things like that. If I stripped all that back, Essentially, I had 14 months of runway um, to to fund my lifestyle without having to draw anything from the company. So I that lifestyle adjustment was it was a big thing. I, I called I termed that later term that the minimum viable lifestyle. So it was basically how much could I live on, not on the smell of an oily rag, because I think yeah you do need to make sacrifices to lifestyle, but it's really important that you don't grind yourself to dirt um, <laughs> because your mental health suffers a lot. So it was like, I tried to balance that my income to understand what was the bare minimum that I could live on, um, but still have an okay life, right? I could still do the things I enjoyed, uh, which, 
which are pretty boring anyway. I was fairly frugal. I didn't have expensive hobbies, but I was trying to understand that that life balance of, yeah, I could still afford to buy a, a coffee every day, right? Because that, that's a simple pleasure that I, I enjoy. So anyway, that financial runway was finite, um, you know, 14, 15 months. And I basically almost used it all up. So I didn't, as I said, didn't draw for the first for first year and a half and um, yeah, almost went through all my runway and it was an experience I rather not have to endure again because it wasn't fun. It was extremely stressful. So over time, um, our, our business, we're lucky and, and thankful that our business has grown and it's much healthier from a financial perspective. And it has meant that we have profits, right? Like, um, you know, we've got profits and we have be, have been paying dividends. And through that process, it means that my business partner and I have been able to incrementally increase our salaries. Now, I would say that I'm not paid a salary anymore. <laughs> Fast forward eight years, I'm not paid a salary anymore. We, I get paid by dividends, but I'll talk about that separately. But yeah, so going back when I started SBO, my business partner and I, I think we're aged about, well, I was 26 years old, Rowan's a little bit older, but yeah, I was 26, right? So back then my personal burn rate was quite low anyway. So I said I was probably spending two to $3,000 a month um, on living costs. And uh, yeah, I think my my monthly mortgage, I've got numbers here. <clears throat> so my monthly mortgage was about 1850. Uh, that was my my yeah, monthly mortgage. And then everything else was about a thousand dollars a month. Um, so it was food and groceries, travel, coffees, um, you know, saving a bit of cash for, you know, weekend trips and things like that. So yeah, it was quite frugal. Um, and even my, my personal life was very different in terms of my relationship. So I had a girlfriend, Liz, who is now my wife, but we lived together. So we, we share all the costs and, uh, she was also grinding, um, at, at a big four accounting firm. So we're both living a fairly grindy lifestyle, uh, which was good. But as you know, life changes, right? So as we matured, we we, you know, we started to get married. We had a month long honeymoon, and now we now we have children. So my if I was to start a business from scratch today, my personal burn rate would be extraordinarily different to what it was you know eight years ago, right? And I think that's one of the benefits of starting a venture while you're young or younger anyway, or because your lifestyle circumstances are very much different. And uh, yeah, you can you can take on more risk because you've got less to lose. So yeah, as we were approaching our 30s, uh, my business partner and I were entering the stage of life where we had financial costs of weddings, you know, family had to buy the family house, buy the cars, you got children and, you know, into the future, you know, I've got to think about private school fees. You know, I'd, ideally I'd like to, to get back to having annual holidays when, when my children are a bit bigger. So, so yeah, thankfully our business has been able to support that growing lifestyle need, right? So it's been nice. It's been really nice actually to take a little bit extra to start saving for these life experiences. Now, as I said before, my current salary is probably still nowhere at the level to compensate for the wage I didn't draw in the first phase of the business. So I always like to think in opportunity cost. Now, if I think to where I would be, if I didn't decide to start this venture, I you know, decide to stay as an employed person in my career as an accountant, I would probably be fairly senior in the firm, assuming that I wanted to, to wanted to pursue that path, which I didn't, which is why I left. But let's just say I decided to grind it out and become a partner of a bit of a, of a firm, for example. Now, my salary now, I'd be probably beyond half a million dollars, um, at least, as a partner of a, an accounting firm. Um, I would say that my income right now is not close to that value, but we have a very different strategy because most accounting firms draw every single dollar out of their business as salaries 
in most circumstances, very minimal capital reinvestment or investment into other ventures, which is what our strategy is. So business partner and I don't take a, I guess, a full market salary. Um, in addition, we, we take dividends instead. What I'm currently taking doesn't compare to the salary I could humbly commend in the market if I were to get a job. Uh, but again, compared to what it was, I'm really grateful to take a little bit more off the table. So despite being eight years old, I consider us to still, or SBO, to still be a very young company. Um, and when I say that, people are quite surprised by that because like eight years is, is quite a long time in, in a career, in a profession. And, and it is, don't get me wrong. But whilst it's extremely difficult, we like to think of business over, over a longer time horizon um, in, in decades, right? So actually, when we built the business and you know this philosophy has changed a bit, but we decided, well, this should be a 40-year venture. Why are we thinking in three in years? We should be thinking in decades. And so we try to think like that. And I said, it's extremely difficult when you've got cash flow and employees and life expenses to pay right now. But if you take a longer term view, uh, it helps to um, reposition how you think about building the business. And so, yeah, we are still fairly young. Um, and as we're still growing, we're still, you know, I think very far from what we can be as a business. We're always conscious of this as owners to ensure that we're not taking too much capital from the business. As I said, we take dividends. Now, we are fortunate that as a accounting firm, they're pretty great business models to be in. And that was pure by, by chance and luck that I'm an accountant and decided to pursue a business in an accounting business model. Uh, but looking back compared to other business models in the market, accounting firms are actually wonderful. And you know, it's recurring revenue fairly solid margins, um, negative cash cycle if you get your billing correct, and extremely capital light, right? There's no, there's rarely any capex uh, required to start the business besides your salary, which is, yeah, <laughs> why I didn't pay myself at the beginning. And so as a service business, we're extremely capital light, which is why deliberate reinvestment back into growth should be part of our strategy, right? So if you've got, if you've got a capital light vehicle, or a business model, and um, there is a predictable way to grow earnings, which at the moment we're still figuring out as a company. But um, if there is one, you know, there should be you should be allocating a, a chunk of that profit to reinvestment to to grow, right? Because that's a good use of your capital instead of drawing it all as dividends and, and paying tax and things like that. So we like to reinvest back into our businesses, but at the same time, we also want to you know fund our growing lifestyle needs, right? So we're always kind of deliberating. How much do we take from our business to service the now, but also reinvest enough into long-term growth and not take too much to an extent that it suffocates our growth, right? Now, so don't be fooled about the, by the image of young millionaire CEOs that post photos of their waterfront home in Range Rover or Instagram or TikTok. You know, there's a, there's a big trend of uh, these TikTok young CEOs, you know, day in the life of a 23-year-old CEO, right? there you know, cruise along in that BMW and they're, um, you know, clocking into their WeWork and got the laptop on and they're doing sales calls or whatever, right? It looks like they're living a fairly lavish lifestyle. Uh, but, the, you know, the beauty of my role as an accountant is that I actually see the numbers. I see the truth of what happens behind the veil of Instagram accounts and, you know, Forbes 30 under 30 uh, press releases. And I can tell you that a lot of these founders that are in the commas crushing it, uh, own companies, which are, yeah, they're quickly growing, but a lot of them are backed by, you know, deep pocketed investors with questionable unit economics. So they're still really early in their business venture and highly risky, like these businesses could disappear next year or next month. You don't know. Um, or they've got more mature business, but they're only one bad debtor away from bankruptcy. So what I find is a lot of their lavish lifestyle is often borrowed 
from the bank uh, via external finances or big Division 7A loans, which um, basically director's loans, so that they're essentially a lifestyle funded by the company. So I fear there's a risk that I may end up one day end up as one of these guys, um, you know, these folks that you know, I bought a Tesla recently out of my company um, and there were some some tax advantages of, of doing that. But I posted this thing on LinkedIn where I'm like, hey, you know, bought this Tesla, it's awesome. And I had the mixed reaction from my <laughs> my audience. One part were like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, EVs of the future. The other part were like, oh, you know, who's this wanker showing off a Tesla? And I thought it was ironic because the Tesla I bought was, was quite 60K. So $60,000 is, is, I guess, is expensive for a car, but they're compared to a, you know, a four-wheel drive or every other car you see on the road, which are easily 100,000, 150,000, there's, you know, 40 Rams, uh, these Ram trucks here, they're easily 120, 150K, you know, that's <laughs> truly double the price of an EV, but the Teslas get more attention for, for whatever reason, right? Anyway, so there is a, there is a risk that I turn into one of those Instagram guys, but I do have a safeguard and that is my wife who carries a stick to constantly beat down my ego. <laughs> uh, the other assurance is that as accountants, I guess we are constantly aware of the conflicting priorities between our role as an employee in the business, as well as being an investor or owner of the business, right? So we are acutely aware of dancing that fine line between taking too much capital from our company to fund our ever-growing lifestyle once, whilst ensuring that we leave enough capital in the business to continue to grow our asset compounds of that capital. And that asset is our business, right? Which will ultimately provide us with real long-term wealth, right? You look at the most wealthy people in the world, a lot of them have two things in common. Uh, they Number one, they are business people. They own businesses or they own chunks of businesses. And secondly, they own assets, right? So you want to own assets and build businesses over a, a long period of time. And that's how you build wealth. So that's, that's really very much our strategy. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you tired of traditional accounting firms that only focus on tax and compliance? Looking for a financial partner that can go beyond the numbers and reveal the story those numbers are telling? SBO Financial aren't your typical business accountants. We're your dedicated financial management team, empowering you to take control of your finances and gain clarity and confidence in your business. Sure, it will keep your books in order and file your taxes. But unlike traditional firms, we'll also go beyond financial hygiene to give you the forward-looking insights and strategies you need to grow your cash and profitability. Picture this, a team of chartered accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers, payroll specialists, and financial analysts all working together to help you grow your business. With SBO, you gain access to a collective team of experts and specialists, providing you with proactive advice and analysis. So don't settle for reactive advice. Stop looking backwards and start looking forwards with SBO Financial, your partner in financial management and growth. Visit our website or contact us today for a free financial health check at sbo.financial. So the big question is, you know, how much can you take from your company without taking too much, right? So I'm the numbers person. Whatever is a strategic decision that we just, we make, we always crunch the numbers um, via a financial model. So we have a financial model of, all our, of our business and we crunch numbers to see what is the impact of, kind of any, most decisions that we do. But over years, I've learned that that's not how everyone makes decisions. And I guess the most objective decision for founders is how much can I take from my business? In this pod, I'm offering a framework of how much you should pay yourself based on each phase of your business journey. Now, quick caveat, this is by no means prescriptive. Um, it's simply a guide, but uh, it's it's a guide that we use um, in all the conversations that we have with business people. Um, okay, so there's this kind of three phases of your business, right? There's three kind of 
growth phases. Um, the first one's startup. The second one, no one will work, work as hard as you as the owner and nor, nor should they, right? Because they're not necessarily compensated or incentivized to work as hard as you as, as the owner. Uh, but when you see that they're not working as hard as you and they're getting paid a lot more in this instance, you know, a ton more, um, you start to build, feel a little bit of resentment towards them. So in hindsight, I would have paid myself something, even if it was just a, a couple of K or 3K months, just to cover my burn rate, that, that would have been better um, if, if you could afford to, which which again, our, our circumstances are all a bit different. We couldn't, so we had no choice, but I would like to uh, in that instance. But um, essentially what you should do is pay yourself up to your personal hygiene rate, or what I term the minimum viable lifestyle. So I coined the minimum viable lifestyle uh, from, you know, the Silicon Valley term um, MVP, minimal viable product. Uh, the phrase was popularized by startup guru Eric Reese in The Link Startup, which is a, um, a a great book on thinking how to essentially build a, a, a lean business. Anyway, so the MVP thesis is designed around building the cheapest and smallest product possible with just enough features to kind of satisfy your early customers. Uh, and the whole idea or the whole concept of the book is, is a framework to work with a cost constraint, cost and time constraint that achieves the most viable outcome, right? So the MVP principle can be adapted to areas outside of software and product development. Uh, so as an accountant, I like to apply this perspective to my personal life, sorry, to my personal finances and hence the term minimal viable lifestyle. So the idea behind the MBL is to design your lifestyle so that you are living on the lowest viable cost, which still yields the highest impact to your satisfaction. The core principle is that you only spend money on things which have kind of like a, a high personal utility. Um, so my example was I really enjoy buying coffee every day. I know there's this whole thing on, on Reddit. It's like, oh, you know, why people waste five or six dollars on coffee every day? Such a waste of money. You can make coffee at home for 50 cents, right? Um, I, yeah, I, I get it, but I really enjoy buying coffee. It's like the, it's just a, a nice r- ritual that, you know, that I have and I want to continue that. So you know, that $5. And it probably isn't a great deal of money, but it, it adds a lot of uh, impact to my day. It sets me up for the day and I enjoy it. So I'm happy to spend that money. That's a small example. For other people, it could be hobbies, right? It could be um, going to the movies once a month or it could be, you know, playing golf every Sunday. Like whatever your hobby is, like you have to understand what what is what are the things you do that uh, provide the highest outcome uh, to your personal lifestyle and, um, and then basically getting rid of all the shit that doesn't, right? So it's essentially doing an audit of your personal monthly lifestyle expenses and just eliminating the unnecessary or impulse purchases. So the whole idea of the MVL is to understand what is the minimum salary you can live off and still enjoy a really great life, right? Um, and so I won't go into the breakdown of how to do it, but essentially uh, you can find it in my book um, or there's a couple of blogs which I'll put in the show notes. But essentially you go through your, your monthly finances kind of look at, do a review of the things that you're spending on and take steps to remove them from your life and calculate, okay, how much can I really live on um, if I get rid of this shit, essentially. Now, why I like this MVL strategy is it helps you firstly anchor, well, it's good for personal budgeting because it helps you understand, okay, how much can I really live on? Uh, but secondly, it helps you set a benchmark of how much you should take from the business, right? It's essentially a an anchor to calculating how much you should draw from your business. Now, what I find is in the early stage companies, a lot of founders fall into this trap of taking, you know, drips and drabs from their business. So one month they may not pay themselves, but the next month they might draw a bunch because they realize they're falling behind their mortgage or their expenses. And so they they rip out a bunch of cash and there's no certainty. 
kind of their drawings or their salary jumps up and down month to month. And I, I don't like that strategy at all because there's no predictability in anything, right? When you're trying to build a business, you need certainty on your costs, right? That's, that's one of the most important things you need. And if you've got a director or an owner who's just irrationally taking cash out of the business as needed, um, it doesn't provide any certainty for both parties. So why I like the MVL process is it helps to establish a benchmark or a base rate salary. Um, and that salary should be fixed every month, right? It doesn't change. It just becomes the the anchor. And I guess it also mentally equips you with the financial discipline that will serve you into the future. Okay, so that's the phase one. So phase two is scaling up. So as your company, if, if you get out of the startup phase, um, which I hope everyone listening has or, or does, um, as your company hits a strive with growth, um, you understand the value proposition to your customers, you hit product market fit, all that sort of stuff. You start to enter the scale-up phase, right? This is subject to how aggressively you pursue growth in this phase. You'll find that cash flow is a lot better uh, because than it was in the startup phase, naturally, uh, because you have predictable revenue or you know, you're starting to grow. Your sales cycle becomes more predictable. You may even start to generate some profit. So in the scale-up phase, I find that a lot of CEOs can get very optimistic about their growth prospects. Uh, you know, the business is heading up and to the right, so you can justify you know, so you can justify yourself giving yourself a bit of a raise, right? Uh, and this is where there's a, it's a bit of a trap. So the trap in this phase is that a lot of CEOs or founders don't have a sound understanding of their working capital cycle. So it, in essentially, just because you're profitable on paper doesn't mean you have a bunch of cash um, because that cash could be tied up in inventory. It could be tied up in accounts receivable, like money owed from customers could be in other parts of your business, right? And so, you, or it could be a CapEx. So if you're a capital intensive business, you might need to reinvest a bunch of that cash back into being your, your warehouse, your inventory, uh, your platinum machinery, things like that, right? Um, so the risk here is that you're profitable on paper, but you actually don't have much cash because you're reinvesting a lot of it because of your business model. And this is the risk of growing broke. A lot of companies um, see growth as a great thing, but you can actually grow broke as in you the growth of your business consumes so much cash that you have none and you die. In this phase, um, sure, like you can consider giving yourself a bit of a pay rise, but really, if you really be intimate with how your working capital cycle exists within your company, ensure that you have sur- enough surplus cash to actually feed your personal lifestyle as well as leaving enough in the business to continue to grow. And so the phase three part is maturity. So eventually your business will hit a maturity phase. Um, and in this phase, you're Expenses and revenue are way more predictable in nature. Growth is not as kind of, it is not exponential as it once was in the scale-up phase, but you are, it's, it's kind of still growing, but kind of not growing as quickly, but you've got a lot more predictability and understanding of the levers in your business to pull. And, and at this stage, you sh- you sh- your company should be in a position to pay yourself a market salary as a CEO. So CEO compensation varies, um, you know, obviously depending on business size and maturity. For, I would say empirically, if your business is doing sub kind of $20 million of turnover, which is, you know, categorically most SMBs in Australia, I'd say that CO compensation for private businesses sit around probably 180 to, to 300K per annum. Um, again, varies, but that's full comp, including super. Um, so that is kind of the benchmark of a, of a salary you can take. What's important is as a CEO and founder, again, um, you... You should stick to that salary. So if you decide to, to pump up your salary to uh, you know, a more respectable rate, that should be your fixed salary every month. If you decide to, if you feel the need to take more from your company because your company can't afford to, that should be done via dividends, right? Or a director's loan. And uh, I find a lot of 
business owners just kind of use their company as a slush fund, which is the worst way to run uh, your finances, right? So as the CEO and owner, because you're in this unique position where you're the owner of the business and you're also the CEO, uh, you'll be probably tempted to pinch money from your company bank account. And you're probably thinking, well, what's so wrong with that? Like, you know, I'm, I'm the owner and I'm the CEO. I can call the shots. It's my money, right? And this is where you are 100% wrong, right? So this is a, a, a common trap. Uh, you need to keep in mind that your business is a separate entity to yourself, right? So your business expenses are completely different from your personal expenses. And if you just use your company as a personal slush fund, uh, it creates enormous tax issues um, and also sets you up for poor financial habits. Um, so I will iterate that your company bank account is not a slush fund. And the only cash you should be really taking from your business on a monthly basis is your salary. That's it. Nothing else, just your salary. Now, if you do want to pay yourself a dividend of surplus profit, uh, you should actually talk to your accountant about whether you can afford to first, um, but you should be a, a strategic decision to pay dividends not a kind of a whim approach because I need to, I want to buy a Ferrari uh, next month, right? So how do you safeguard yourself against this, right? So I like to have um, a few different uh, ways. Usually it's about the best method, right? To, to maintain governance in your, bank, in your company bank accounts. So start with four bank accounts in your business. Everyone, what will most people do is they have like one or two bank accounts and all the money goes in, all the money goes out and you know, in, in good months, you'll you'll see a bunch of cash in your bank account and you think, oh, cool, that's awesome. I, I feel rich. I feel great. Um, I feel need to spend it. So you go and buy a Ferrari or put a down deposit for a boat. And next month, your Baz comes due or your bigger supplier needs to be paid. And you realize, holy shit, I have no cash in my bank account because I bought some stupid things. And so you get stressed, you go to the bank, try to get some financing and it becomes a really stressful process, right? So Rather than doing that approach, what you should do is um, instead of having just one or two bank accounts, you should have at least four. I think four is the the, the, the best. People like to overcomplicate this, but yeah, four bank accounts. And, and this whole framework I'm about to present to you is, is built off the Profit First model. If you haven't read Profit First, um, it's a great book on kind of business budgeting for your business. Um, I don't, the, I, I really like the concept of it. There's some things I don't agree, but anyway, this is my bastardized version of how we think about the Profit First approach. All right, so I have four bank accounts in your business. First, first bank account is your ins and outs of money. So that's, you know, customers pay money in, your payroll, things like that, that, that money goes out, right? So that that money, uh, that's essentially your working capital. That, that bank account just carries a bit of cash to, to cover the ins and outs of your business. Now, the second bank account should be reserved for taxes. So if you're in Australia, um, that should cover, that, that should be cash put aside for GST, pays you go withholding tax and super superannuation, uh, maybe some prepaid income tax. But any, anyway, what you should do every month, go into your accounting system and actually calculate how much GST, how much PAYG withholding and how much super you have accrued and is owing to uh, your to, to the tax office, uh, essentially, and actually transfer that cash physically from the first bank account to, the, to that bank account, right? So what you're doing is provisioning for that cash every single month. So when your BAS comes due or your tax return comes due, you've got that cash sitting there ready to pay, right? So there's no surprises. You, you've, you know, this, your accountant says, here's how much you owe to the tax office. Um, you go, great, I've got that money. I'll pay it. Job's done, All right? So you have that, that money set aside. The third bank account that you have is your rate A fund or call it working capital funds. Now, 
you know, there's a lot of advice on the internet about how much cash I should keep in my business. My view is that you should be keeping two to three months of fixed operating costs. Now, if you are in a, a growth phase business, um, I recommend that you be a little bit more conservative. So carry three months. Um, so three months of fixed operating costs. So work out what are your fixed costs in your business and multiply that by three, three months, uh, monthly fixed costs times three, and then that's the amount of cash you should hold in that bank account. We at personally at SBO, we only carry two months. Um, and the reason why is because we're, we've got a negative working capital cycle. Um, in, in fact, our, our clients pay us a month in advance. So we've already covered for a month of cash, which is why we only carry two two months of expenses rather than three. Anyway, uh, so two or three months. And then the third bank account is everything else, right? So the idea is once you've put money aside for your taxes, which is, bank, which is your second bank account, and then you put away three months or two or three months of fixed operating costs of CAS cash, which is bank account three. Bank account four is where you put your surplus cash all on top of that, right? So that real, that fourth bank account is what I call, what we call your profit account or free cash flow account. That is the cash that, as you, you know, assuming you've got a profitable business, that bank account should build with cash flow or with cash. And then that is the money that you can decide uh, to spend, right? And these are, these are the capital allocation questions that we have is that, should I pay, can I pay a dividend? And if you do, that's the money that you can pay. If you want to reinvest back into growth, for example, and you might want to buy, expand your warehouse footprint so you can hold more, hold more inventory so you can grow more sales. That, that's a strategic capital allocation question. Or, you know, another example, we might decide to buy a business, right? So you buy a competitor, buy a supplier, that cash there is used for acquisitions, right? So the, the whole idea of this framework is it, it's, a, it's a really great mental model to help you understand, most importantly, that fourth bucket of, of cash. How should I spend this money? Um, and knowing with full confidence that you can spend it without creating cash flow problems for yourself into the future. So that's a quick tip on how to think about cash governance. And by all means, if you're not sure what this means, go speak to your accountant or reach out to me on DM so I can and help you set this framework up in your business, right? Yeah, so that's a quick summary of how, I guess, we think about owner's compensation for small businesses and SMBs. So to recap, how much you should pay yourself is really dependent on the cash requirements of the business and, and its journey, right? Um, and I guess going back to my lessons learned, I would encourage everyone to pay themselves something, even if it's very, very small, because it just helps make your life a little bit easier personally. Um, and knowing that, hey, I've, I've got this predictable income, Alice, um, so I will cop it from my significant other that I'm still contributing to the household in some way. I hope that has been a helpful framework. Let me know if you have any questions. I'd love to hear from you. And there you have it, my compass for navigating owner compensation. It's incredible how our financial journeys evolve in parallel with the businesses we nurture. Thanks for joining me today. And uh, remember, by stripping your finances down to the bare essentials, you can see your numbers stark naked and find the facts that really matter. For more insights in uncovering your financials, unlocking your cash and unleashing your profits, make your way to starknakednumbers.com or follow me on LinkedIn. I'm Jason Andrew, and this has been the Stark Naked Numbers podcast. 